0: Father thank you for your goodness and you're an awesome God who's in charge of all things and God no matter what challenges we bring No matter what joys we bring, uh, you never change, and we can trust you. And so help us to continue to trust you, whether uh, we're in a high place or low place. Father, thank you for all the friends watching online, some of them not able to be here because they're sick, they're quarantined, or they're vulnerable. God, just be with them. May this time seem very present and real to them as they watch from the location they're watching. So God, uh, you, we would ask that you would take our efforts for the Christmas season. Lord, we just want to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We don't want to be limited. So God, um, help us to do that well. And For Christmas Eve, give us uh, creativity and courage. Know how to engage that in such a way that we can invite our unbelieving friends and family to be part of celebrating the birth of our Savior. So God, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your word. Uh, teach us now. We are paying attention. So Holy Spirit, instruct us. In Jesus' name, we're all said, Amen. Amen. Also, another important moment for those of you who've called CVC home for years is that we also had a home going uh, for a dearly loved uh, member of our church family, long term member of our church family. Many of you know Allison and Doug Delfeld. Uh, Well, Doug Delfeld, incredible brother of Christ a couple weeks ago, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, CVC has been blessed over the years with many like green berets of the faith. People who just seemed to be here whenever the doors were open or sometimes were the people opening the doors, uh, always serving, always involved, always encouraging, always praying, always investing themselves in God's work and God's people and in the community. And Doug was one of those people. Uh, my first connect with Doug and Allison was when we moved here 10 years ago. Uh, Doug and Allison Delfeld rented, they were gracious enough to rent their available home to us as we uh, came here. And, and from that point forward, I continued to hear about and firsthand uh, witness Doug just bless. So many people with his heart and his gifts. And so, uh, whether it was um, serving projects, cooking, checking on people, praying for people, just helping people as the opportunities presented themselves. Um, all the specifics. I mean, we don't even have time to mention all the things that Doug did here, but we know that he was heavily involved in our annual blood drive, whether it was setting up, cleaning up, preparing food for the donors and the Red Cross staff. Uh, Night to Shine was very involved. All of you that are involved in men's ministry have experienced uh, Doug's fingerprints all over the men's ministry. He loved to cook and prepare meals for a lot of things, mission trips, uh, the ride for the orphans, Appalachia, uh, El Salvador. Doug has just poured himself into um, God's people and God's work. And uh, it would take me a lot more time to share, but we're just going to miss that brother dearly. Tim Brooks, one of our elders, uh, shared that he had a conversation with Doug one time. And he says, I'll never forget how Doug said this. He said he served the way he did because he had an appreciation for what Jesus did for him. The reason that Doug and so many others like Doug uh, have served the way they do is because they just have a heart connect to what Jesus has done for them. And so the good work that Jesus did for Doug produced good works from Doug. And that really should be the case for all of us. The the good work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, right? The greatest gift we've ever received, the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins as he hung there on the cross in our place to make uh, a reconciliation with our Heavenly Father possible. Um, the, The good work that Christ has done produces good works from us. And now when I say good works, I, I want to make sure we're understanding the term correctly. Uh, we are talking about good works extending to every aspect of our lives. It's the good deeds that we do inside and outside the church. It's uh, including our attitudes and our thoughts and our actions before God. It's caring for those who have great needs. It's the way you behave toward those you go to school with. It's the way you behave toward your employee or your employers. It's giving to your church. It's your generosity to others. Right now, with so many people uh, kind of hunkered down in their home, it's that call, it's that text, it's that note, it's that grabbing something that they can't get out and get, bringing it to them. Uh, These are all ways that we do good works. And really, understanding good works means that uh, the character of Jesus that is growing up in you is increasingly being put on display by those who experience you, whether that's at home or at school, at the workplace or your community or in the region. And so we want to be people who are people of good works because we love Jesus. Pastor Dale, a couple weeks ago in his message, uh, quoted the 18th century theologian and evangelist John Wesley on this. But he said, Do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can. And that's a great picture of Doug Delfield, and many men and women like him. And that should be a picture of me and a picture of you as followers of Christ. And so uh, just kind of interacting with that concept, I want to put up a little scale here. And let's just do a little self-assessment. If you were to really gauge how uh, well you are living a life devoted to good works in the name of Christ... Where would you put yourself? Would you say, that's low in my life, It's kind of medium in my life, or high? Where am I in being engaged in good works for Jesus, low, medium, or high? A big challenge might be to ask uh, those who know you well. So those of you online, you know, the person next to you in that room, or for those of you here on the way home, just say, hey, where would you put me on this? Now, don't get in a fight over it, okay? Uh, That kind of defeats the purpose, but it might just be interesting to ask. Like, where would you put me on that? And and are you satisfied with where you find yourself? And do you think uh, the Lord is pleased with maybe where you are in that? And if not, then what are you going to do about that? What changes can you make? Well, the Bible passage that we're in today as we wrap up the book of Titus and the series called We the Church is really big on good works. We're going to see that just jump off the pages at us. So let's uh, open up our Bibles to the book of Titus, and uh, we're going to be in uh, chapter 3, and we're wrapping up Titus. We're going to start in verse 8, and as you're turning there or tapping there uh, to Titus 3, just a reminder about where we've been. Now, God uh, impressed this message on the heart of a man named the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a young man that he was mentoring, a co-laborer in God's work named Titus, And Titus was a young man that he left on the island of Crete just off the coast of Greece to organize and encourage the church there. And so uh, really it's a great letter to understand who the church should be and how we should interact. And so over the last uh, few months we've looked at topics related to the body of Christ, such as the gospel and sound doctrine and qualifications for church leadership, Christian character and ethics, relationships with those within the faith and how to interact with those outside the faith, especially uh, those in roles of authority. Pastor Joe uh, gave us this image last week. It was a very helpful image that really captures uh, the narrative of the letter of Titus, that it starts with looking at the internals, like church leadership, and then those inside the church and how we interact relationally with them, and then those outside the church and how we should uh, relationally interact with them. That's, that's where we've been. Well, let's uh, go ahead and wrap up the passage uh, that we're looking at today by looking at Titus 3, starting with verse 8. Here's what we see. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to what are those words? Good works. Good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned and then Paul gives these wrap-up personal remarks when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you do your best to come to me at Nicopolis for I've decided to spend the winter there do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way see that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to oh what's it say there? good works. So as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. And just a great sign off from the Apostle Paul to Titus and to the Christians on Crete and really extending through uh, time even to us. And so although this was specific from Paul the Titus, God's word applies to us, and so I see four applications for the church, the body of Christ, for us as well, uh, based on what we saw here. The first is this. We as the church should be doubling down on sound doctrine. Look at verse 8 again. Paul says that the sane is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Well, what sane? What things? Well, any good Bible student knows you've got to back it up, right? You've got to look at the verses leading up to these verses. So what is the saying that's trustworthy? What is is, uh, the things that we should be insisting on? Look at verses 4 through 7. This is where we see the specifics. and doctrine specifically related to what we would call the gospel how we are broken, sinful, and unable to uh, repair or restore our uh, relationship and condition with God because of sin, but God, who's rich in his mercy and his love and his grace, uh, gave us Christ, who died on the cross, and for those who believe in Christ, trust in Christ, all that we just read about in those verses are ours, the washing, the regeneration, the renewal, the Holy Spirit. Uh, We become beloved children who inherit We're heirs of all that our Heavenly Father has because of faith in Christ. And so these verses relate to the good work that Jesus did to us that then produces the good works that come from us. And as we see here, Titus is to insist on these things to insist on this doctrine, to, to be emphatic about it. So we need to double down and realize how important this doctrine is. This is so important that um, we continue to, to understand and never depart from the understanding that our relationship with God, our forgiveness of sins, our access to heaven are some things uh, that only can be received by faith. We can't achieve them by behaving. We can't achieve them by being good. I know that some of you, even though you profess Christ, you know Jesus, you still kind of go back to this uh, understanding that, well, maybe if I'm good enough. Well, maybe if I, like that, that's not biblical. And some of you were raised in that system. You're still shaking that out of your theology where it's all about what Jesus did, not what we can do. Amen? It's all about what Jesus did on the cross, not what we can do. So so we have to double down on this doctrine. And once you grasp how significant and heavy and important that is, it it becomes doctrine that stirs you up to do good works because Jesus did so much good to you on the cross and still continues to do good to you as his child that it stirs us up to do good works in his name. So it's not about achieving anything. In fact, uh, 1800s preacher and theologian Charles Spurgeon Said this, he said, The child of God knows his good works do not make him acceptable to God, for he was acceptable to God by Jesus Christ long before he had any good works. It's all about what Christ has done, all about our faith. So, yes, faith alone in Christ alone saves us. But here's what we're seeing today yes, faith alone saves, but that faith that saves isn't alone. It comes th- also with good works. So not only are we people that are doubling down on this sound doctrine, it makes us people who then are devoting ourselves to good works. We we'll begin in verse eight. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Do you hear the intentionality? You've got to be careful. You don't stumble into good works. You don't accidentally start doing good works. We're careful. We're thoughtful. We're intentional about devoting, like making it part of our regular life. We're always on standby. We're always available to do good to others in the name of Jesus. We have to devote ourselves to good works. And good works is just a big emphasis all through the book of Titus. In fact, if we just do a quick review... We go all the way back to Titus 1. And in verse 16, Paul, referencing false teachers, says they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. It's like they're, they're disqualified from being able to do the good works that Jesus wants because they don't, they don't believe. They're false. Titus 2.7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Titus 2.14, speaking of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Which means we're not like, oh, yeah, I'm not the whole Christian thing, I better do some good works this week, you know. That's, that's not the attitude. It's like, where do I get to do good? What opportunities do I see? How can I help? Who can I call? What can I give? What can I do? We're zealous to do good. Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready, to be ready for every good work. And then just as we saw in Titus 3.8, those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. And then we see in verse 13 of Titus 3, we just saw it a minute ago, let let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. I like that, it's like learn. Sometimes it's a process to get there, right? But we gotta learn to do good works and help in cases of urgent need. And we're we're always discovering urgent need. But like right now, especially the holidays, 2020, COVID, there's a lot of urgent need out there. So we want to learn to do good. And so the life of a Christ follower is a life devoted to good works. Not for uh, just the sake of doing good works, but it's rooted in the doctrine that we just talked about. The Christ who's done so much good to us will then produce good work from us. Like, that's why you were made by God, by the way. Like, if you look at your hands for a second, if you look at your hands, you look at your feet, you look at all that God's given you, why is he giving you that? You know what God said to the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 10? He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Don't you love that? God prepared the good that you would do for you before you even had a chance to do it. He just maneuvers you right into place. So you don't live by the people you live by on accident. He's put you there to do good to them. He he doesn't have you working with the people you're working with on accident. He's put you there to do good with them. Some of you, you know what, you're, you're married to an unbeliever or you've got difficult, you know, um, spiritual relationships in your home. You just keep pouring into that. It's not an accident. And so we are to do good. We were created for that. And, and I love this because it shows that our salvation, the, the saving of our souls is gritty. Like Jesus rolled up his sleeves and went to the cross to die for our sins. It wasn't a pleasant thing. It wasn't convenient. He just went. It was gritty. And our response, we roll up our sleeves and we dive in to see how we can help other people in the name of Christ. I just love that. And so we're people who are devoted to good works. And it says here that these good works are excellent and profitable. When God sees us doing good, He sees them as excellent, they're praiseworthy. And they're profitable. And they're excellent and profitable for the one doing the good works because it's a joy to just be used by God. And it's excellent and profitable for the recipient of the good works because they get blessed and cared for. And we give all the glory to God. And we try to point people to Jesus and let them understand that those dots are connected. We're not just doing good because we're just nice people for self-glory. We do good for the glory of Christ so they could connect the dots about why we do what we do. Uh, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, said this. He said, truly, if faith is there, right, if we have a faith in Christ, he says the believer cannot hold back. He breaks out into good works. It's a description of our life. That's who God's called us to be. So as the church, now we are people who are doubling down on sound doctrine. We don't depart from that. We are people who are devoting ourselves to good works in the name of Christ. And then we see a couple protective instructions that I think are applicable also, also. For the church, we're also people who are ditching distractions. We've got to ditch the distractions out there. Look at verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law for they are unprofitable and worthless. We have a lot of distractions out there, but one of the distractions that's distinct for the church a lot of times is people like to debate about non-essential issues. So instead of the core issues like the nature of God, the deity of Christ, salvation alone and faith alone and Christ alone and all those other aspects of our discipleship, people start finding themselves debating over second, third, fourth tier spiritual topics or sometimes topics that have nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with Jesus. And so for the original audience of this letter, for Titus and for the Christians on Crete, what that looked like was there were people who were kind of still stuck in their Judaism. They didn't understand it was just Christ alone. So they were arguing about Jewish laws and traditions. They were also arguing about spiritual pedigrees. It says here genealogies, right? Meaning that they believed if you had a certain spiritual family tree, you had more authority with your opinion and your instruction. Hey, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy was Abraham. Of course, all the other Jews are like, well, me too. <laughs> but all the Gentiles are like, oh, I guess you're right and I'm wrong. Like, think about this for a second. Titus wasn't even Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. Titus' mom and dad were non-Jews. Yet he's standing on teaching on the authority of Christ. And so all this debating, all this quarreling, all this conflict that was taking place, Paul's telling Titus, man, you cannot get bogged down with that stuff because it distracts you from doing the good for Jesus. I think what's sad is some people are logging thousands of hours of debate over non-essential issues and maybe, you know, a couple hundred hours of good works. That's that's not what God's called us to do. That's not why he made us. And so when it comes to defending truth, you've heard our heart on this. Hopefully every time one of our pastors gets on this pulpit, we're not talking about the defense of core biblical doctrine or truth. We're talking about taking other topics and just starting to get all caught up with those. They're distractions. They siphon our energy off of doing good. We're always debating about non-essential issues. And so we have to make sure about that. Uh, The word, by the way, here, avoid, literally means in the Greek to like turn around and turn your back to and go the other way. It's like a U-turn. And so my hope for me and for you is that when people post certain stuff online, when uh, they try to drag us into conversations that really are second, third tier, those are distractions. You could be doing something more beneficial in the name of Christ than arguing with that person. And so we have to ditch those distractions. We don't want to get bogged down in that. So I'm going to ask you to do two things on that note. One, pray and ask for wisdom from the Lord on which engagements are fruitful and beneficial and those that are unprofitable and worthless, as we see in this text. For example, if the conversation is helping someone uh, convert to Christ, that's good. If the conversation is busting myths about unbiblical teaching and tradition and clearing up confusion for someone, that's good. If the, con- if the conversation is helping sure up biblical understanding of core doctrine related to the nature of God, deity of Christ, salvation, that's good. So may you pray and ask God to show you that which is worth investing your energy to on the theological front. Um, also, a question you can ask yourself, for the debates that you might be having, ask yourself this, if I win this debate, what is really the lasting fruit? That might right there eliminate a lot of your conversations. Like, what's the lasting fruit if you win? Because for some of us, if we're going to be honest, we just want to be like, I was right, you were wrong. That's the fruit. Well, how long is that going to last? And how does that really glorify Christ? And so we have to come back to say, no, we're going to be people who are ditching the distractions. There's a lot of need out there. There's a lot of good to be done out there. I'm not going to waste my energy arguing with you over non-essential issues. That's where we have to find ourselves. And so as the body of Christ, we the church, we are doubling down on that sound doctrine. We are devoting ourselves to, to doing good works. We're ditching the distractions. And fourthly, we're dealing with divisiveness. God that causes us to deal with divisiveness. The seriousness of Paul's instruction to Titus here to avoid controversy and arguments is so important that if someone within the church body was not going to stop being divisive, they were asked to move along. So look at verse 10. It says, as for a person who stirs up division, they're just stirring it up, right? They're causing division. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Where sometimes those unnecessary uh, debates distract us from doing good, division sabotages our ability to do good. And in the same way, the the energy that we could be using to do good in the name of Christ all of a sudden is being used to manage conflict and difficult people. And we see here, it's really clear from Paul to Titus, like, look, man, love on them, warn them a couple times. If that doesn't work, it's time to move on. You've got better things to do than just manage conflict. It's not what the church needs to be doing all the time. You know, something that's disturbing to me, and I think it's disturbing to you too, is that there are a bunch of people in this world that just hide themselves in some little room somewhere just to cause chaos and damage. These are the people that are like they're making viruses for a computer. So if we click on a link, boom, it does something bad to us, right? Or they're the ones calling us and, and fishing for money and scams and trying to steal your identity, right? They're just they're just sitting in a room trying to create ways to hook us. There's people out there that are creating disinformation campaigns and putting it out there and then watching everybody follow, you know, uh, their handiwork. These people get this twisted sense of pleasure from seeing the damage it does to others. And unfortunately, the church is not immune to that. There are contentious people who will work their way into the church with the same type of motives, and then they want to stir up division. They like to cause disruption and disunity. They like to create tribes of followers and, uh, for themselves, and they create favoritism culture. They are usually Pharisaical they dishonor church leaders, or they try to um, uh, get a following of people to dishonor church leaders, or they try to pit church leaders one against another. Uh, they usually support and endorse things that are hypocritical. There's just a high degree of hypocrisy you'll find in the life of a divisive person. Uh, they usually will endorse sinful living. They'll oftentimes introduce unbiblical teaching into the flock. Of course, all of that hinders the gospel work that we're all called to and so just like cancer does to our physical body if we leave it there it just eats away at it if you have divisive people it's cancerous it eats away at the body of Christ it says that these people are warped some translations say perverted and the Greek word there is the word extrapho it means to turn inside out to make worse, to corrupt. These people have been corrupted. They've been turned inside out, and they're sinful. The, the Greek word there is the word harmononatono. It means uh, to be in error, in the wrong, to wander from the truth, to miss the mark. See, these characteristics do not glorify Christ, and they do the body of Christ no good. And so here's the thing. If we ever have to stare at the mirror and realize we're that person then we need to have a course correction, and we need to be open to brothers and sisters in Christ who love us enough to come to us and offer that course correction. Also, I think there's a warning here. Having a perverted, warped, sinful disposition and refusing to humbly receive correction or make needed changes can also reveal that a person may not actually know Christ. I mean, how can you profess to love Jesus and then just joyfully do, do so much harm to the church that Jesus loves? Those are just disconnected from one another. So like Titus, if we encounter these types of people, hey, we lovingly but boldly encourage them to make a course correction once, twice, and after that, this isn't the place for you. Because when you become part of a church family, on one hand, uh, you're a contributor, you're an investor, you're part of the team, part of the family and what's happening. But on the other hand, you've also now willingly submitted yourself to a family with accountability. Which means if I'm out of line, you have a responsibility to call me on it. If I'm living in sin, you have a responsibility to call me on it. And the same for others in the church family. And so this is all coming down for us as the church. And so what great instruction for the church? What bold instruction for the church? Look, you've got to be doubling down on that sound doctrine. You've got to be devoting yourself to good works. You've got to be ditching the distractions. You've got to be dealing with the divisiveness that wants to creep into the church. That's what we see here. And then Paul gives some closing remarks that are personal nature. I love how God includes that in his word because it shows that these are real people doing a real work, making a real difference. Uh, He's basically telling Titus, hey, look, I'm going to send a couple guys to you, someone to kind of hold down the fort there at Crete so you can come hang out with me for the winter Um, so don't be surprised if Tychicus or Artemis show up. He's also saying hey provide for Zenos and Apollos these guys were also friends of Paul that were there on Crete obviously uh, teaching and evangelizing he's saying make sure they have everything they need That's usually referencing hospitality and money and resources. And make sure that they lack nothing. So make sure that those guys are cared for. And every time I read something like that, I always think of our church. Because our church is so faithful. And just on that note, thank you for your faithful giving at CVC. Especially right now. Because uh, we're still able to preach the gospel. We're still able to help people in need. We're still able to help people grow in Christ and to, to reach our community. And so thank you for being faithful in your giving. If you haven't done that this week, you know, have your giving moment uh, before the day is up. And then uh, the typical traditional clothes that we see from the Apostle Paul. Grace be with you all. God's favor. A life um, lived for the Lord through God's grace. All be upon you all. Which I love because this letter wasn't just for Titus but for all those that that were there on Crete as well. And so we see all of this come together and we see this group of people called the church who are so grateful for Christ's good works to them that it produced good works from them to other people. And that's who God's called us to be. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, I think I I want to show you an image I think that will play out in how we can apply uh, this instruction. All of us as individuals are learning to do good. We all live on standby. So there's going to be certain situations that come into your life as an individual that you can help with. Your money, your resources, your time, your encouragement. And so some of that's going to happen on an individual level. Sometimes it's going to happen as a life group. And so as a life group, now now you've multiplied the resources, multiplied the energy, but yet it's not a massive group, so you're still pretty nimble. You can go in and and really help someone in need. Uh, Just one small example of that. I saw this last week. Um, There was a life group that has a widow in their group, a a single mom mom with a couple kids. Uh, all their kids wanted, man, was Christmas lights. And we just would love to have Christmas lights. And the mom's like, I can't do that. The life group showed up. And just put Christmas lights on the house to bless those girls and bless that mom. Like That's just a simple way of doing good. But it was a group of people that did it together. And then there's a larger way we can do that as a church family. We can mobilize as a, at a much larger uh, capacity when we do the Advent Tree, which is online this year. Or other situations that seem to come before us where we respond. One of the tw- that we do with that is called CVC Go. CVC Go is a a way to get text notifications when there are needs and then whoever feels like they want to go after it pounces on it and makes it happen. And there's definitely some unique needs right now going on with, um, you know, holidays and COVID. So uh, Pastor Rick Imers, our serve pastor, uh, has a message for us on this video to talk a little bit about how CVC Go can be used during this season. So let's watch the video.
1: Hey friends, so we've reached... The end of 2020. This year has hit a lot of families within our church community pretty hard. Many have experienced health issues. We've seen families experience loss of precious loved ones. We've seen many experience temporary job loss. Many have had to even close their businesses. And still many more are experiencing loneliness and depression in ways that they haven't before. But along with the heartache that many have experienced, we've also seen the body of Christ at CBC rise up to meet challenges in many ways. Many have stepped up to serve in intentional ways those who are in some of those vulnerable places. So for the month of December, we're gonna have a special emphasis towards serving the vulnerable within our community. If you're a single parent, a family battling serious illness, a family with special needs, elderly or shut-in, a widow or widower, maybe you've recently been unemployed, you're a family, maybe facing other significant obstacles, we have a team of people at our church that we call CBC Go that want to help you, and you can request help by simply texting the word REQUEST to 440-276-5575. Maybe you're not in a position where you need help but you want to offer help to other people within our church community. If that's you, feel free to text at CVCGO to 81010. So welcome to the Christmas season, CVC. May this be one that we can look back on and confidently say, we the church.
0: So as people who are... Lovers of Jesus, devoted to good works. One of the ways we can do that as a church is through CVC Go. And there will be times when you're on the giving end, and there might be times you're on the receiving end. So just follow those instructions. Again, if you didn't catch that uh, quick enough, if you want to be part of the call list, just text uh, the at symbol CVC Go to 81010. Uh, to be on that notification list. And also, if you're vulnerable or you know someone in our body that's vulnerable or even someone that uh, God's brought into your life that's vulnerable, has needs, uh, you can request assistance by texting the word request to our response number 440-276-5575 to help people in need. And of course, the greatest need we have is the relationship with Christ. We've talked about throughout this whole morning that God, out of His love, met us in our place of need, provided Jesus Christ who died for us, rose for us. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, or maybe you're ready to take that step of faith, also text our response number. But you text the word Jesus because you're interested in what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, To 440-276-5575. And we have some friends that will get in touch with you and help you take your next steps. Well, I hope that this whole fall series through Titus with the Church has been beneficial for you to help understand some aspects of what it means to be the church and also understand what it means to act upon us being the church. And today, that kind of conclusion and that rallying point of let's be people who are devoted to good because Jesus did Something amazing for us. The good he did to us should produce good from us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for Jesus. Thank you for the hope, the peace, the joy, the identity that we have as a child of God. That is something that we receive and could never achieve. We thank you for that. God, um, there is probably both motivation and conviction today for all of us some affirmation and motivation to continue to do good. Thank you that this church family has an army of people that love to do good. They love to be generous. They love to help. God, thank you for that. God, may you multiply that. Bring some people online that haven't really done much in this area. And God, there's probably conviction. We all know we could do more. So Jesus, would you heighten our awareness would you sensitize us to the needs around us? May we not be selfish, self-centered people, spending all our money on ourself, all our time on ourself, neglecting the needs around us. God, may we be generous. Help us to do that. We ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together, amen.